Good morning. Buenos dias. Johnny told me to say that. That's all the Spanish you will get from me today. I will not put you through that. Um, wanted y'all to feel welcome, though. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. As uh, Johnny said, my name is Cameron Russell. I'm a ministry resident stationed at Station Hill, um, down over basically in Alabama, so far away from here. Uh, but it has been a wonderful experience to be in the ministry residency program. I serve with my wife, Mary, who is also a ministry resident in a worship track, um, similar to Daniel Cibrian, who you know very well, a uh, similar kind of path that he has been on. And Johnny is right, we are coming up to the close of our residency very soon, but we are grateful to Brentwood and grateful that uh, we have been able to serve incredible churches like the church at Woodbine. Uh, also grateful to Doug for entrusting me with the pulpit today. Uh, he is at a family get-together, but he loves you very much. He's such an encouragement to our church, uh, to me personally, and I know he is sad to miss a Sunday, but uh, he's grateful that you have given him leave to do so. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 20. Start flipping over that way. And to start, I want to ask a question this morning just to get to know y'all a little bit better. Do we have any endurance runners at the church at Woodbine? Any marathon runners or long distance runners? A couple of y'all, not many. So most of us are normal. That's good to know. Um, I love y'all. I don't mean to offend y'all. Y'all are some superhuman weirdos that do endurance running. I I don't get it. That's not for me. I wasn't built for that. Uh, but it is incredible the things that uh, I've seen people do in terms of running marathons, long distances, things that I could barely dream of. Um, I saw a post on Facebook a long time ago that said a deal breaker in a relationship is if uh, a girl's family runs marathons for Thanksgiving. I felt seen. I felt known. That's not, that's not who I am. And a lot of my friends in high school, they all ran cross country and did a ton of events. We didn't have a ton of sports at my high school. And I felt left out. I wanted to try and run with them. Um, sometimes you have dreams that deserve to not be dreams. Um, I tried to run. It didn't work out well. I grew up in Orlando. Um, and so imagine me going out in you know, the break of dawn, sun beaming through the trees. It's a beautiful morning. The smell of grass is in the air. And then imagine that in 90% humidity. God didn't intend for us to run in that kind of weather, at least me. I tried to run. I tried to learn how to do that well. Didn't succeed. Um, the Italian meatball that I am, I didn't, didn't keep up with the rest of the group, and I got frustrated. Um, and I started asking for some help, for some tips from the coaches that were at the school. I asked one of the coaches, hey, what, how do I just finish a race? I'm not talking about do well. I'm not talking about first place. I just want to cross a finish line for once. Um, If you're a runner, you probably didn't get this advice because you don't need this advice. Usually people that run or park gazelle, they're going to do their 5K in 10 minutes and it's going to be fine. But for for the rest of us, uh, we need something to help us just cross the finish line at times. This was his advice. and I thought it was really helpful. He said, first, stop looking down. I see your eyes. You're looking down at the ground the entire time. Get your head up. Stop looking down. Second, Follow the person who's running in front of you. It can be that simple. Follow the guy in front of you. And then keep your mind not on how much it hurts, on the fact that your lungs are burning and that your legs hurt and that you don't remember what you ate for lunch, but you're probably going to see it soon. Focus on the finish line. You're going somewhere, right? Follow the person in front of you. Stop looking down and focus on the end. 
Now, some of you runners might think, no one ever had to tell me to do that. Someone had to tell you that? Yes, unfortunately. And I thought it was great advice. It didn't help me in my running at all. I'm still really slow. But I thought it spoke to what endurance looks like for us just as people. It was helpful for me in thinking about what it means to just endure in life in general, not just a race, but to endure spiritually in our walk of faith, in the race that we're called to run as believers. We've been in a series uh, called The Church Multiplies, right? We're walking through the book of Acts, and we're trying to figure out what it means for us to be the church, what it means for us to be believers, what it means for us to model ourselves after Christ, and how can we take lessons from the early church and apply it to our modern context? Last week, we looked at uh, the gospel as it cross-cultural boundaries. It unified unlikely characters, the weird scenes where you list the, the cast and it sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, right? Where these people have no business being together, but somehow, through the grace of God, they're brought together under the banner of Christ. The gospel has the power to do that. And this week, we're going to look at a different power the gospel has, which is the power to help us endure. We're going to go 10,000 foot view and try and see the final chapters, the final eight chapters of the book of Acts. What story does that tell about the, the Apostle Paul? And how can we learn from his endurance how we can endure today? So again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. If you would stand in honor of God's word as we read this. We're going to try and keep it a little brief today. And the reason we're going to try and cut down time just a bit is because we're doing the Lord's Supper. And I think it's helpful when we come to the table to let the Lord's Supper, the body and blood, the bread and the cup, be the the focus of the service, the pinnacle of the service, all right? We want all that we talk about now to inform us as we come and celebrate communion, celebrate the communion we have with Christ and with each other. So context here, Paul is returning from his missionary journeys. He feels a call to go to Jerusalem. They're in a a season of great drought and famine. And so he's gathering a love offering and he's going to Jerusalem. But along the way, the gospel has been whispering to him, or the Holy Spirit has been whispering to him that trials lay ahead, that in Jerusalem, there would be great suffering potentially. And this is where we pick up. He's called some of his friends out of Ephesus, the elders, to speak with him. So Acts chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 17. And we're going to go down to verse 24. And it says this. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and through the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable and from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Here's the part that we'll focus on for a little bit. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are awaiting for me but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I will say the word of the Lord if you will say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. 
Jesus, your word is good and we are grateful for it. Jesus, you have set an example for us in your servant, Paul. That when trials await, when the difficult parts of life are staring us down, when we are pressed for our faith even, that you are with us and that there is hope. So God, I pray that you would open this word for us. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate it to our eyes? Would you speak to our ears? Jesus, would you show us who you are that we might marvel in you more? Speak, Lord, for your servants are here and they're listening. All of this we pray in your name. Amen. May be seated. So this morning, we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture, not just this one. We'll hit a couple more if that's okay. If it's not okay, we're going to do it anyway. But I want to look at the whole story of God's uh, work in Paul's life and the story of Paul's suffering from chapter 20 all the way to 27 and see what this tells us about endurance. See, Paul had a different kind of endurance than I think we see in a lot of us today, in a different setting, different context. But spiritual endurance is, is a special kind of endurance. What do you think of when someone says to endure, if you're weathering something, weathering a storm to endure something? I think spiritually, it's the ability to be steadfast, right? That, that word might come to mind, to bolster yourself to cling tight to the promises of Scripture, to hold to the life God is calling you to despite what the circumstances are putting you through, right? To believe the gospel is still true, even if what is in front of you is difficult and may even scream to the contrary, that we cling to Jesus and follow him when things get tough. That is spiritual endurance, In this text, Paul is facing what might be his most dangerous assignment yet. He has already suffered much, as we've read when preaching to the Gentiles, but now he's being called to Jerusalem. The religious leaders there know him very well, and they're waiting for him, plotting against him, and yet he feels led to go. He's calling his friends together to discuss and talk and say that he is about to leave, and they probably won't see him again. What I see in this text and what I think we'll see in the rest of this story is a remarkable faithfulness in Paul. You can't separate faithfulness and endurance. They have to go hand in hand. To be faithful, you endure. And to endure, you have to be faithful. And there's this remarkable tie that we see in Paul's life. I think it's foreign to how we endure today. If you're human, you're going to have to endure something whether it's a stub toe or something worse from there, you will endure something. You will have to weather a storm. If you're a Christian, there are guarantees in Scripture that you will have trouble in this life, that the gospel does not give you a free, get-out-of-jail-free card from suffering in this world. Rather, it might even increase and probably should increase the difficulties we would have. Why? Because Jesus was hated before us, and we follow in his footsteps. Because because this world is broken, and it will be broken until Jesus returns, and we have to live in it somehow. There's difficulty for us in this life. The the thing about the gospel is that it gives us hope in the midst of that. It, It makes it livable. 
But I think we endure in, in different ways. That Paul is being persecuted for his faith, and, and we face persecution in a very different way than many places in the world, right? We can be honest about that, that we have great freedom to express our religion in our context. That's not to say that we do not face any opposition, but compared to some places in the world, and certainly in Paul's day, we have the gift to, to worship, which is a good thing. At the same time, we might be ostracized for what we believe. We might feel rejected, misunderstood. There might even be some kind of punishments at times for believing the things that we hold dear, for believing in Scripture and Jesus and his truth. And then there's the everyday that we endure and weather, the things that all people have to endure because we live in a broken world and and there's suffering because of that. There's illness, there's hardship, there's loss. And that's tough. And I think there's a temptation that we all face when it comes to suffering, when it comes to endurance, right? The temptation is this, that we can shrink inward. That when it gets hard, we can focus on ourselves, we can keep our eyes on the floor, that we can grin and bear it and just get through it. If I can just get through to the other side, right? We can believe that there's no purpose to our endurance, to what we suffer, that there's no meaning behind it. Sometimes it can feel hopeless. and We're tempted to give in to that hopelessness. These are temptations that we all face. And Paul doesn't seem to struggle with that here somehow. That's miraculous to me. If I was going to my hometown and they said there's a plot to end you, I'm playing some emo music at the very least. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely making a fuss about it if left to my own devices. A plot to kill me? I grew up with these people. It's just down the road from Antioch. I, I'm, I know these people. They're my coworkers. Paul doesn't view suffering in that way. He doesn't view affliction that way. There's probably fear, but he has a certainty here in chapter 20. It's reflected in Romans 5. He says this, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope, and this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out on our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For Paul, afflictions wash against his faith like a rock. The hardships of life break against his faithful commitment to Jesus and his knowledge that God is with me and whatever is coming my way will harden me, will make me cling closer to the true rock of Jesus. He looks at affliction different than I think all of us typically would. He thinks that even if I'm bound, I'm not alone. Even if I'm chained, the gospel isn't chained, and so it's worth it. That there can be purpose on the other side of this, that God is with us, and there's a reason we are walking through what we are walking through. That is spiritual endurance. That's what I want us to focus on here as we look in this text. It's the, I think the summation of Paul's endurance, which is this that God endures with us so that we can endure for him. God endures with us so we can endure for him. You see, it's not Christian to suffer. Everyone does that. It's not Christian even to be persecuted. 
Anyone can be persecuted for their beliefs. It is Christian to suffer well. It is Christian to endure well. I believe that God cares about how we walk through trials. Not just that we do, but how we do that. We endure with Christ. I think that's something that we've lost a bit as modern believers. That Christ is with us and he has a way that he wants us to represent him as we endure. And I think we see that in a few ways in the story of Paul. So there's three things I want us to look at here. Three, three aspects of Paul's endurance that I think are helpful to examine, right? So Paul here is speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus. He is discussing with them the, the, the things that are awaiting for him in Jerusalem. And many of them are pleading, don't go. Why would you do this? And he has a confidence in himself. We see this starting in verse 22. He says, now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit. The Spirit has told him what awaits him there. And his response is this, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course. That alone is a radical statement, right? I think there's something that we do when we're going through suffering especially as like modern, even just our culture, but modern believers. We, we do this thing that's interesting. We tell stories when we suffer, right? Someone, someone asks you, hey, how, how's your life? What do you, what do you, what's been going on? And if you open up to them, if you start letting them in a little bit, it's a good thing. But how do you frame that typically? yeah, man, I've been going through this thing and I've been doing this and it's been really difficult. And this person said this to me and that was, that was really tough and I don't know how to walk through this. And you, you kind of narrativize what you're going through, right? I think Paul knows something that's important here, that this story isn't about him. That his name is neither found in Genesis or Revelation. That this story, even his suffering, his endurance, isn't about him. He says, I count my life as nothing to me. It's, it's not about me. It's not for me. This story isn't about what I want, and it's not about my comfort. It's not about me at all. When you read this, if I were to ask you, who's the main character of this story? You might be tempted to say Paul. But the main, story, the main character of the story of Paul, the story of Acts, The main character is God. In the life of every believer, it is his story, and we are supporting cast. It's not about us. So my question for you today is, when you're going through a hard time, who do you make the story about? Was that just for me? It... It's convicting to think, when I'm telling a story of my hardship, who do I say this story is about? Oh, well, I'm going through this, and this hurt me, and this, I, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, and, and this offended me, and this, okay, okay, those things can be true. But what is this all about? What is this all pointing to? Paul knows that it's not about him. I'm not going to point to myself when I endure something. I'm pointing to Jesus. He doesn't say, look at what I am enduring for God. He says, look at my God who is so worth enduring for. That is a miraculous thing to say in the face of hardship. 
And it's something that's convicting for us. When we want to make the story about us, when we want to focus on our own pain, it's a freeing thing to remind ourselves, this story's not about me. Somehow, someway, this story's not about me. So, so how, do I, how do I see that it's about God, that he is the main character, and there's a purpose, there's a reason for this? Paul is uncannily good at this. I think it's challenging, but our true witness isn't that we suffer. It's who we point to when we suffer. So how do we point to Jesus when things get tough? How do we remind ourselves to do that? The next thing that I think is helpful is Paul endures purposefully. He endures selflessly, and then he endures purposefully, right? In chapter 20, he reveals this purpose. He says, I don't count my life as worth anything. I'm here to finish my race and to testify to this gospel I have been entrusted with. This is what I do. Here's the temptation for us again. We think that we suffer for no reason. We think that hardship kind of just happens. It comes into our life, and then it flows out of our life, and our job is just make it through. Hear me. Life is tough. There is great grace for those who struggle. And, it, and there's a risk here to start feeling guilty that, oh, I'm not doing enough and that, this is, that I'm a bad Christian if I'm not both having my world crash around me and street preaching. So hold this balance with wisdom. But there is comfort also to say that your suffering has a purpose here. See, Paul leaves this meeting, and he goes to Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and he's arrested. They beat him, and he's, he's saved by the Roman guards who are trying to figure out, all right, what do I do? What do we do with this Paul guy? And he addresses the crowd, and he preaches the gospel. And the crowd that beat him didn't like the gospel being preached to them. I don't know if he thought that was a winning strategy, but it didn't, it didn't work out well, and they start to riot. And so we can jump forward here quickly to chapter 23. Two verses, starting in verse 10, it says this. When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them. And he ordered troops to go down, take him from them, and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified to me or about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify about me in Rome. Just as it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer, he says, Paul, you are to suffer as well, and it's necessary. There's there's a purpose. And that can be true of us too, that that sometimes, somehow, it it can be meaningful for us to endure and suffer. If we're willing to do so, that we can have purpose beyond just getting through it. The church at large here has been persecuted already. Paul has been persecuted and will continue to do so. What is the point? Sometimes this pain is necessary to have the gospel be preached. That there's an effectiveness when the church is crushed, when we're made to endure, and what comes out is the gospel. That bears a unique kind of testimony that says our God is so worth it. Our God is, is worth this suffering somehow. Our temptation is to just get by. But what if God is willing to use 
what you're going through? What if God is willing to to take the things that are difficult in our lives and use them for gospel purpose? Whether that's for your transformation or the transformation of somebody else. One of the most beautiful things about this gospel of ours that Paul shows is that our pain can be purposeful. Christian, sit with that for a moment. Your pain in the economy of God is not wasted. Your pain is purposeful. There can be great meaning to that. And God wants to be glorified even in our difficult moments as much as our joyful moments. In highs and lows. Paul has passed from court to court, from court to court, to governors, to the Sanhedrin, to kings. And all the while, when they ask for a defense, he just preaches the gospel at them. He preaches to King Agrippa, and Agrippa says, are you trying to make me a Christian? And he said, yeah, that's the point. (laughs) His language is, I wish that everyone that can hear me right now would be as I am, except for the chains I'm in. He leverages opportunity after opportunity, knowing that God has not brought affliction to him maliciously, but he's brought him to opportunities to be faithful. What if we saw our hardest points as opportunities to be faithful to the God who bore it all for us? What if we saw suffering or persecution or affliction or or just the hard parts of life as an opportunity to, how can I preach the gospel with how I live right now? God endures with us so that we can endure for him. There is purpose to bring God glory in the midst of our suffering. Final thing is this. This is where I want to start landing us as we go to the Lord's Supper. Third thing, Paul endures with hope. That might seem obvious. If you've been in church for a while, hope is a big theme. There's a reason for it. Paul endures with hope. This moment in in chapter uh, 23, you see God speak to Paul. And he says, have courage. He's showing you in the midst of all of it, I'm with you. And it's going to get worse. You're going to go to Rome soon. Paul appeals to Caesar and says, I I want to be tried by the court of Caesar. Send me to Rome. I'm not done with this affliction yet. I Keep me in change and send me to Rome because I'm going to preach the gospel there too. Why does he have this hope? Because he knows something, that Jesus has gone before him. See if you can catch this real quick. Paul arrives in Jerusalem and there's danger everywhere from religious leaders. He's captured and beaten and sent from court to court to court. God speaks to him and says it is necessary that you endure what is about to happen. And he accepts this. And he is tried before the Sanhedrin, tried before the governors. Are you hearing the echoes of another story here? Luke is a masterful masterful writer who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's also writing Acts. And he's showing us parallel after parallel of Paul's story reflecting Jesus' story moment by moment by moment. 
There's a subtle subtext here that we can take away from this. We have hope because Jesus has gone before us. We model our life after him, and that comes with hardship, but Jesus goes before us. Going back to the runners, he's the one in front of us that we focus on. We chase after him. I promise you won't catch him. But we chase after him to glory, to the finish. He has gone before us. We have hope. Paul has hope because he's not alone. He follows a savior that has saved him. That one day, he and you and I who are in faith won't have to endure again. That the need to endure in the Christian life will end. That Jesus paid it all on the cross, bore our sins, bore our shame, died for us, that if we believe in him, our endurance is temporary. That there's a day coming where we can celebrate with him, celebrate this table at the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is what communion means for us. Paul's hope is that he has communion and fellowship with Christ himself. We have that. That is the purpose. That is the thing that keeps us going, the hope that drives us to the end. Paul is sent on a ship to Rome. This is where the story will come to a close for us today. And on this ship, he's doesn't know what lies ahead of him. He doesn't know if he's going to be beheaded in Rome. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And though his story won't end with this trip to Rome, he's undoubtedly nervous. He's clinging to the hope that is Jesus. Well, this ship hits a storm. The winds are breaking, and all of a sudden, there's a moment of peace. Days and days and days of storm, and there's a moment of peace. And he sits down, and after the crew hasn't been eating for a while, he takes pieces of bread. We see this in chapter 27. And he says this. When it was daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been waiting, going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival. Since none of you will lose a hair in your head, he's saying, the storm is breaking, God will save us. After he said these things, he had taken some bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And he broke it and he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and took food for themselves. So he took bread, broke it and gave thanks to God and began to eat. That language is also purposeful from Luke. It's the same language that Jesus was attributed to in the feeding of the multitudes. It's the same language that Jesus was attributed to in the Lord's Supper. And it's the same thing that Jesus did on the road to Emmaus when he met the disciples after his resurrection. And he said, look. And they saw it was him. And he broke bread. And they ate together. Paul is doing this, and he's surrounded by unbelievers. It's not a formal Lord's Supper, but for him, there's a symbolism here. There's a reminder here that Jesus is here. He's present in the present suffering, and he is waiting for me in Rome along with whatever else. And that's enough to keep going. As we close today, I I don't know what you're enduring or have endured. 
I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's on the horizon for you. I know this, that because of Jesus, because of this table, because of our communion with him, we can endure that selflessly. We can endure that purposefully. And we endure that with hope, a hope that can't be touched by this present world. That is what the table means for us today, and that is where we're going, that we are freed up to live the lives God is calling us to live, that we can take our eyes off of ourselves and love others in the midst of trouble, preach the gospel in the midst of adversity, and look to Jesus as we run the race. What if we believe the gospel enough to endure anything for it? What if we believe Jesus was with us, present in our lives enough that nothing could deter us? What if we believe that suffering, enduring was worth it for the one who endured and suffered for us? Friends, Jesus is present. We invite the worship team to come back up as we close. I think it's an opportunity here for us to look and think, what would God have us reflect upon as we come to this table? How would would God meet us maybe in this moment? What am I walking through that can be a platform for the gospel? What am I walking through that feels hopeless and I need to be reminded that hope is available. What what of the church's witness can be redeemed by pointing to Jesus instead of ourselves when things get difficult? So I'm going to pray in just a moment. I encourage you, have a conversation with your father. We're coming to the table as a family, but take a moment because Jesus is here. We'll walk through a couple of motions together, reflect for a moment. But ask, Lord, what's this family meal about today? Where are you? And how can I see you more? Pray with me. Jesus, we'll keep it simple. We're grateful. We're thankful. that one day our endurance will come to an end because of you. That we won't have to endure again because you endured for us. But until that day, we pray, God, would you be with us? Would you be present? Would you help us to suffer well that people might see Jesus in how we endure, not us? Give us the courage to preach the gospel in the midst of the hardest moments. Lord, you're so faithful to us. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to run our race knowing that you await for us at the end and you're also running it next to us and you've gone before us. Speak, Lord. We're listening. And we want to know and love you better.